I've decided after Alicia uh, misunderstood you guys being excited about talking about Jackie that we should just refer to Yellow Jackets as Jackies. Yellow Jackets. Yes. Oh Are we my talking God. about that show, the Jackies. The Jackie Show. Yeah. You know the Jackies. Well, it's like all this time you've been talking about how you like these flawed women protagonists. I'm just thinking, like, dear Lord, wait till you get to Yellow Jackets. Oh my God. Yeah, I've oh been, my God. I've been waiting. Like Alicia watched the first episode with me, and she has taught Lord of the Flies, been forced to teach Lord of the Flies enough times that she's just like, oh fuck, is this Lord of the Flies? No, I'm out. Yeah, but what if Stephen King did Lord of the Flies? That's what I said. Is like I, I like. Both the like split timeline stuff, and then also like yeah. how much more interesting it actually is than Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies well, is like the one time something supernatural happens, it's very clear that it's just somebody hallucinating. I will say, I feel like season one did a very good job of keeping the overall quality of the two timelines very consistent. I think it is less so in season two. I, th- I think I'm thinking I'm considering yeah, that. I, I'm not I haven't sure seen how any I feel. Two- yeah. Uh, yeah. You want to go ahead and, um, Emily, do you want yes. to kickstart? So show? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm taking the, the show hostage so I can eat it yeah. later. But Jeremy, what do you want me to introduce you as? Because I'm the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, but now I'm the host. I don't know, man. Do you want to be the cinnamon roll this time? Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't... That, that doesn't seem right. Um, yeah. Hmm. The Frankenstein of fun guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The powerhouse of poltergeists? Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. The powerhouse of poltergeists? Sure. I I, I don't have any better ideas right now. So, <laughs> uh, my only other one is the. Uh, let's see. No, what is it? Is uh. Nope, I've lost it. Yep, powerhouse of poltergeists is best I got. Okay, cool. Notorious supporter of, of women's wrongs. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like the notorious supporter of women's wrongs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ally of women's wrongs. Women's wrongs activist. There you go. Yeah, there we go. Okay, I'm going to start. Clap. Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to i am your host tonight emily martin your friendly neighborhood mega moth and cinnamon roll of cenobites i have i am holding this show hostage in my basement for important blackmail crimes and also to eat it later and with me tonight i have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites it's the horror squad folks First up, we have Ben Khan here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary. Ben, how are you? Well, I like between Ted Lasso, Yellow Jackets, and Blue Lock, 2022-2023, really the last few years we've had soccer shows for men, women, and anime of all genders. I haven't seen Blue Lock. It's very what if animes played soccer. (laughs) I thought that was like... What if soccer was a battle anime? Okay. For once, I am ignorant of this anime. It is the anti-teamwork anime. It's what if a sports show was also a Hunger Games-esque survival drama. Interesting. Well, that brings us to our former host and once and future host. Oh, no. You got Jay Leno. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Don't worry. 
Fucking taken away, Conan. We have the women's Bronx activist, Jeremy Whitley. Jeremy, how are you? I have mainlined all of season one of Yellow Jackets in roughly the last 36 hours. So God bless. Um, <laughs> I'm in a dark place. Good for Hungry you. Hungry for steak? Never. Long pig? No. This was, I, I rewatched the first three episodes for this discussion. I've watched all the way through season two. I've been watching this weekly since like episode three, maybe like I I, I hopped on the yellow jackets train uh, with my partner or should I say the yellow jackets plane early on rewatching the pilot would now have it with two seasons under my belt was such a wildly different experience. Oh, yeah. I've also seen all of the first and second seasons. It's interesting seeing things in perspective. When this was first advertised, I saw like Karen Kusama was involved and like the whole sort of pitch of the story was really interesting to me. I was like, that's definitely something I'm going to have to check out. And then it was on Showtime and I don't know how to Showtime anymore. So I was just like, well, I guess I'll get around to it at some point. I'll figure it out. And then suddenly two seasons of it were out. I was like, oh, shit, I should actually watch some of that. And so you all have finally forced me to do that for the show yeah. to actually like, sit down. And I was theoretically only supposed to watch three episodes. It's just too good. Once you pop, you can't stop. I, I forget exactly how the third one ended, but it was something that I was like, well, I can't fucking stop there. Oh, yeah. the third one ended with uh, they found Travis. Oh, yeah. They, they found yeah. Travis in a noose. Yes. You know what's really rough about this first season is like, you find out Travis has committed suicide at the beginning of it. And then because of the way the timelines work, you just wish Travis would die for the rest of the show. Like, I just keep. But you wa- know he I won't. I just keep wishing harm on no Travis. No matter how annoying Travis gets, he can't God. die. He's functionally immortal. He has to God. suffer. That's the well, thing. No, is that you watch him suffer. His suffering is baby boo-boo next to the fucking saint of suffering that is coach ben the saint sebastian of this show nobody suffers in this show quite like coach ben coach ben it's rough man it, you know when people are like ah oh, it really sucks to be a guy in particular property i'm like ah, whatever but this is one where like yeah it, it yeah. kind of <laughs> sucks to be a dude in this show with the exception of, of travis honestly like i hate this kid but like also strongly related to having been a high school teen at one time myself. There's not some real like Jess Mariano Gilmore Girls shit where you're just like, oh, would you just fucking chill out? It is. Yeah. Pull the stick out of your ass for five minutes and try to like figure out what somebody else is feeling. Oh, yeah. Like watching it the first time was just like, oh, there are dark mysteries afoot. It is intrigue around every corner. All of these characters, I don't know who they are. I'm figuring out their relationships, what their deal is. I'm wondering what could happen to all of them. Now I look back on the second time and I'm like, oh, man, Coach Ben, look at you here with two legs and intact sanity. That's not going to last long. Man, it's uh, one of those shows that I feel like somewhat like punishes you for choosing favorites. You're like, oh, I really like that character. Oh, well, maybe not. Unless your favorite is Missy and you're just rooting for Christina Ritchie to be fucking like psychotic and delightful, in which case you're going to get a lot of that. Missy is horrible, but in a very consistent way. The psychology of Missy is very sound. 
Yeah. Like it's a fucked up psychology, but it's a very Oh yeah, it's lo- the logic of Misty's thought processes and actions is always very understandable and consistent. Yeah, as a as an activist yourself, Jeremy, how do you feel about Misty's wrongs? You know, Misty really um appealing as a character to me while also being like very difficult to watch because like just within those first couple of episodes, especially the second episode, it becomes so clear that like she is a nerdy kid who like has never been in a good place, has never like been the one that people actually look to for anything and is is just really struggled with all the like social parts of things. But then like she's put in this situation where it's like, oh, suddenly she has all this ability and all this power. And and by the time, you know, she uh, sabotages the transponder at the end of the second episode, you're like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. I get why yeah. you did that. But also you're fucking horrible. Oh, yeah. Just fucking killing people with cigarettes. The moment that you think like, oh, people should be nicer to her. You're like, maybe she's not that bad. That's when she's going to kill you with your own cigarette. Yeah. I love like the evil teammate. The one who is just so objectively trying to support the protagonists, but is also just so unambiguously evil about doing it. She she really reminds me of um in uh, Orphan Black, the like psychotic blonde clone that is like sort of the bad guy, but also like does want to be on team good guy occasionally. Yeah. There's something very like Joker thinks he's Batman's best friend about Misty. Very Lego Batman about Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just recently watched Lego Batman. I, Delightful I, film. It Love was. It. it was. My friends had to like, would you, could you on a boat? Would you, could you in a boat? And I'm like, mm, I don't know. It's, the eggs are green. And they're like, would you, could you with a cat on a map? And I was like, fine. And then I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was like, this is genius. It's brilliant. It's really well written. The animation is great. The technique is great. The presentation is hilarious. Yeah. Like, as incredible as Misty is, and as batshit villainous as Misty is, no character in this show truly embodies women's wrongs quite like Shauna Shipman. Yeah. She doesn't fail upward. She just fails around so far. She is just failing like on an eternal escalator. Yeah. She fails so hard. We don't know where up and down is anymore. Again, I talked about like the rewatch feeling so different. First time around, it was like, oh, here's Jackie and there's Shauna. And oh, they have this interesting friendship relationship and the tension there. And oh, shit, Shauna's like sleeping with Jackie's boyfriend. Like, what kind of drama is that going to cause down the line? Like. What is happening? Who are these people? Like, what web of intrigue and drama is this all leading to? Now I get to that scene of them hooking up in the rewatch. I'm just like, here we go, everyone. Oh, Mr. Yeah. and Mrs. Bailey McPhailface. Here's Shauna and Jeff, king and queen of fail. Everyone point and laugh at the fail family. Well, and here's the thing is that they are so different in the way that they fail together. But I do want to get to the recap here. I have opted to take the recap responsibility partially because I'm holding the show hostage. And I mean, if you've been listening, you know that these people are me. I mean, they were seniors when I was a freshman. I'm technically Allie in this, which kind of tracks because I probably have a broken leg before I play soccer. 
I'm Van making snarky comments after getting left to die in a fire. I wish I was Van. Even, maybe I don't wish I was Van. I mean, Van is definitely the fantasy character to be, if only because Van gets to hook up with Jasmine Savoy Brown. Oh, I Yeah. You know, it's funny to me that, like, over the course of, of the first season, like, Van quickly became my favorite character. Like, the relationship between Van and Thaisa in, in the past is great. Like, the the way it plays out, the way it's done is is really cute for those first several episodes. And then, like, the stuff with the wolves happened, and I was like, well, so so long for Van. I think I literally texted you guys, like, uh, R.I.P. Van, my favorite yeah, character. You did. And then, you then did. I watched the next episode, and I was like, well, oh, she's back. Oh, yeah. Van just... Popping up, inexplicably surviving fire and wolves. So apparently Liv Hoosen just was so good that they were like, we can't write this character out. They really acted their way into staying on the cast there, which, amazing. Oh, bless there. All right, they were in the Inhumans show. Oh. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I've... They have survived a true, a true gauntlet of horribleness to, to yes. get to Yellow Jackets, so... Livhusen. Good, good on Nick Livhusen. Redemption arc. You did it. I gotta say the adult, especially the adult female cast in the show, is so like all bangers. Like yeah. Melanie Linsky, Tani Cypress, fucking Christina Ricci, Juliette Lewis. Like this show could just be about the four of them and it would be one of the best shows on TV. I really turned around on uh, Warren Cole's Jeff over the season. I was like, the beginning of the show, I was like, oh, fuck this guy. Right. And then like, over the season, I was like, well, he's not so bad. Yeah. The evolution of my feelings about Jeff as season one aired. Yeah, like I was not feeling like I would feel sorry for Jeff. You know, I'm team Shauna all the way, probably because like I wish I was Van, but I know that I'm Shauna. I was not sure about Shauna for the first few episodes. And then that moment, the morning after she runs into her daughter at the club when her daughter tries to like, blackmail her Sean is so like good. let me tell you what it would be like living alone with your divorced dad on the weekends oh my god <laughs> just, like Melanie Litsky has such a way of being evil in like the calmest most upbeat kind of way between this yeah. and the last of us she's so good Shauna especially gets and Melanie Linsky routinely gets what I can only call like Walter White breaking bad monologues in the show. Oh my God. And like, and one-liners. There is a scene she has in season two that will fucking shake you to your core. I'm sure. And I, I mean, Tawny Cypress has some of those things as well. It was so delightful seeing Tawny Cypress after seeing her in season one of Heroes, seeing her pop up in Yellow Jackets was the most lovely of surprises. And she's yeah. wonderful in the show. That scene went. where she wakes up outside her like son's window and like she's having this like horrible revelation of who the woman in the tree is and that it's fucking her. Yeah. And she's been sleepwalking and like just that moment that she has, it's just like dialogue free. And then like her washing her hands and trying to like catch up with everybody else. Like that haunts me. That scene is just like. It's like some Babadook shit right there. Yeah. Like, Oh, yeah, no, like, this oh, is... Oh, no, I am the villain in my my child's nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> this show legitimately, like, creeps me the fuck out in ways that few of the movies we watch accomplish. Not only is she sleep tree climbing and dirt eating, she's sleep ritualistic dog sacrificing is one of the God. most fucked up 
scary ass things I've ever yeah, she seen. She hasn't by the end of season one, she hasn't she doesn't even know. It's her wife that finds the fucking dog head down there. I don't know what happens with that yet, because that's like right at the end of season yes, one. Yes, there's your cliffhanger. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. God. Not, not spoiling like, oh, what shit. happens there. You, we'll just have to wait until you finish season two, which I assume will be by lunchtime tomorrow at this rate. The unfortunate thing is like, this is an absolutely a show I cannot watch around my children. Yes. <laughs> yeah. like, and, and, no, you know, no, definitely not. It starts with a teen girl falling into a spike pit and then having her throat cut, bled out, and then eaten. I was like, hmm. Gonna have to watch this one at night. Truly <laughs> one of the greatest pilot episodes I've ever seen in my life. Oh, that yeah. is one of the best first episodes any show has ever had. And that, so, that opening is... I had seen I... Tumblr gifts and stuff, and I had heard that it was good, and I knew that Juliette Lewis is in it, and I knew that Christina Ricci was in it. And there was also some sort of, like, Elijah Wood being involved, being a... Oh, boy, does Elijah Wood get involved? Fuck. Holy shit, that storyline. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And so, and finally, like, I came around to it, and all of the needle drops, it was like... Oh, the soundtrack is incredible. (sighs) The, the, The 90s music they pick out for this show is perfection. I talk a lot about things that see me. I try to like go into films with the heart on my sleeve and try to be vulnerable and let them show me who they are. But, you know, watching that first episode, I was staring into the darkest of dark mirrors and I was like, okay, you're pulling out fucking little fish, big fish and like whole and like today by the Smashing Pumpkins. And then, you know, all of these like teens with their teen problems and then also like weird forest murder. And I'm like, well, I have to say, the percentage of teen drama to forest murder was a lot higher on the teen drama percentage than I expected. You know how some stories that you call them like a slow burn romance? <laughs> it's a slow burn forest murder. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But once you get to that forest murder, mm, mm, that's some good forest murder. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting storytelling structure when you're sort of jumping back and forth. It can be a pain in the ass, but like the climax of the story is in the middle. I do feel like you can go into this show with a bit of a cheat sheet if you've seen Lost. Because I will say, when it comes to theories, if you just go around guessing, well, it's what they did in Lost, you're honestly going to get pretty far. They don't do it in the same order. They mix it up. But if you think to yourself, wow, it's how Lost did it, you're probably not going to be too far off in a lot of cases. I really hope they don't do with this show what they did with Lost, though. What, be terrible to all the actors of color? Me too. Yeah, yeah, and also have it be like some Jacob's Ladder thing. Okay. It was not a Jacob's Ladder thing. Right, we, we, only... can't, we can't get into the Lost debate right now. We can't. I haven't actually only seen Lost. parts of one season were a Jacob's Ladder thing. Wasn't that the last season? Yes. One thing I kept thinking about about Lost while watching this show was like, what if Lost was a streaming TV series and like it had been like so many other streaming TV series that are imitating it canceled after three seasons? I can't imagine what the TV landscape would look like now. Having yeah. Lost in Yellow Jackets, because after watching Yellow Jackets season one with my partner and me being like, yeah, that's like how fucking Lost did. My partner was like, let's fucking watch Lost then. Honestly, it's still a great binge watch. The characters are all super likable and great. It's a fun time. But it made me realize just to the degree that the Lost Survivors were playing on fucking easy mode. 
compared to <laughs> Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets is fucking Devil May Cry 3 original North American release compared to like what the fucking Lost. Lost fucking crash and it's like, oh, look at this island with its infinite boar and fish and fruit in this wonderful tri- year-long tropical environment. Like some Gilligan's Island shit. Yeah, and you look at the who they have on the crew, it's like, oh, good, here's our fucking, like, world-renowned spinal surgeon. Here's our, <laughs> here's our like, communications equipment expert. What's that? You were raised in a fishing village? You're a survival expert who brought a whole, like, suitcase full of hunting gear? Fantastic. Like, they had everything they need to fucking thrive. And also Yellow Kate. Ja- and Kate, who's so good at climbing shit. Kate climbs the fuck out of any fucking... Like, you could put a rock wall or a tree in Kate's way, she's going to climb the shit out of that. And that definitely comes in handy a lot. So Kate right. can climb. So- Yellow Jackets, they got misty. Yeah. So, let's discuss this movie i'm gonna do a little bit yeah. of um take it away we, we won't interrupt you okay through it and we'll too much okay so creators are ashley lyle and bart nickerson starring melanie linsky juliette lewis tawny cypress jasmine savoy brown sophie thatcher ella purnell Liv Hoosen, sophie nalise samantha hanready sarah desjardins rekha sharma warren cole kevin elvis and steven krueger are our main cast so we have a we have a lot of people as we have said the show opens up with a very cold open because it's winter and we have a girl screaming running through the woods she falls in a pit trap she is killed her body is slaughtered for meat by mysterious figures in furs and masks their leader dons the new symbol of unspeakable horror which is a pair of antlers so here's our story 1996 the Yellow Jackets are a high school girls soccer team from New Jersey, and they get to go to nationals in Seattle. They're champions. However, their private plane goes down in the Canadian wilderness, and some of them survive, some don't. Our characters, our soccer team characters are Jackie, the team leader, played by Ella Purnell. Jackie is popular, upper class, bossy, but generally sensible, at least in the parameters of civilization. Buffy without superpowers. Yes, in exactly. Yes, precisely. Jackie, Jackie. If vampires did show up, she probably could stake a few. Shauna is Jackie's alt grunge best friend, played by Sophie Nalise. She has good taste in music. Natalie, played by Sophie Thatcher, is the punk. She is haunted but pragmatic. Thaisa, the powerhouse, is played by Jasmine Savoy Brown. She is assertive and decisive, and she gets the job done no matter the cost. Lottie, the Simon to refer to Lord of the Flies, is played by Courtney Eaton. Lottie is a talented athlete with mental conditions that require medication. Her stress response is medium. Van, the affable goalie, is played by Liv Hoosen. Uh, Van is Thaisa's secret girlfriend, and she keeps it real. Laura Lee, the Bible camper, played by J- Jane Widdop, is uh, part of it. She tries her best. And then we have Misty, the overenthusiastic coach assistant, played by Samantha Hanratty. She is an outcast and has not issues, but subscription. And then there's Allie, the one that got away. She's played by Pearl Amanda Dixon, and her survival is guaranteed by her mediocre soccer playing. She takes first blood in the TV series when Thaisa conspires, question mark, to break her leg so she can't cost them the game at nationals. Allie's gruesome compound fracture excludes her from the plane flight. And finally, we have Coach Ben. 
played by Steven Kruger. He is gay. Later, we have some survivors. We don't know how many people survive yet, but our story follows Shauna, who is now played by Melanie Linsky. She is now an average housewife on the brink. She has married Jackie's high school boyfriend, Jeff, and has a teenage daughter, Callie, played by Sarah Desjardins, and continues to make choices. Natalie, who is played by Juliette Lewis, is a recovering addict. She tries powerfully and gives no fucks, and is even more haunted and pragmatic than before. Taisa, played by Tawny Cypress, is now an influential politician running for Senate. She is out, married, and has a son with her wife, Simone. Misty has taken the direct road from Psycho Teen to Angel of Death, and now is a nurse in an elderly care facility. She is a true crime nut derogatory, and longs for the affection of more than just her African gray parrot named Caligula. In the year 2021, the survivors are being followed by a quote-unquote journalist, uh, Jessica Roberts, played by Rekha Sharma, who is trying to encourage them to confess their true story. This sets events in motion for our present-day protagonists to reconnect. So, their plane went down. After an episode of just regular team drama, there's underage drinking, there's parties, there's teenage posturing gone too far, needle drops, Shauna's banging Jeff behind Jackie's back, this is a problem. She's going to bang Jeff once. The perfect start to their relationship. Yeah. But the only way that start could be messier is if Shauna asked Jeff to call her Jackie. I mean, she did say, if you come inside me, I will raise the baby out of spite to become a killing machine. And what was it? Hunt yeah. you down. Foreshadowing question, question mark? That's a big question mark. The funniest to me seen in hindsight, though, has to be the principal telling Jackie, or I forget the coach telling Jackie. Coach what Martinez. She, yeah, Coach Martinez telling Jackie what a leader she is has got to be what the funniest in hindsight scene in the episode. Yeah, woof. Jackie is bossy and popular, and she takes her leader leadership role seriously until she's in the wilderness. Then she has all of the parameters are just out the window, so to speak. Just like Coach Martinez, he doesn't survive this plane crash. Most of the team does. One of the girls, I, I don't know her name. I don't know if she got a name because she goes so quickly. Gets a, a large metal pipe drilled through the middle of her chest. <laughs> like, yeah. We, we only sort of see her in the aftermath and it's like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, one of them bad. catches fire and is immolated. The other one is impaled on some kind of plane spike. So it's rough. Yeah. Coach Martinez gets sucked out the open door and planted in a tree yeah in this chaos misty finds her purpose she once bullied once ignored now uses her babysitter first aid class knowledge and tends to the wounded and saves coach ben who is in fact her paramour it's not mutual by uh, amputating his leg with an axe and emboldened by her new powers of life and death she destroys the plane's black box transmitter the survivors, including the coach's sons, Travis and Javi, decide to explore to find water and or civilization. They do find a lake and a sussy ass cabin full of antlers, porn and a dead guy. But there's a Cesta. So that's something. And things just slowly break down. You have a general conflict of interest as people try to assert their different ideas of how to survive. Some people want to leave. Some people want to stay. Lottie has visions. And all in all, a lot of it comes down to just trying to make sense of a nonsensical situation. The other 
half of this story in 2021 involves the survivors trying to make a life while being haunted by this trauma, especially when a bunch of them, not Shauna, but Taisa, Misty, and Matt, get little postcards with a weird Black Lodge symbol that has also appeared in the woods that is some kind of blackmail threat. So basically, give us money or we'll spill the truth. And so stakeouts ensue. Shauna, meanwhile, is pissed off because her daughter is an asshole and Jeff is probably seeing somebody on the side and lying to her and all this kind of stuff. So um, she decides- does follow her to a hotel. It is a very reasonable suspicion that he is cheating on her. Yeah, without any other context, yeah, Jeff is cheating on her. Whether that means that Shauna should cheat on him back with the little, like, fuckboy artist man that she picks up after rear-ending her him. Her manic so pixie dream boy? Yeah, her straight up. She gets a manic pixie dream boy and relives her lost child or, or high school dreams with him for a little bit. Yeah, like, when we say Shauna's a hot mess, we fucking mean it. Oh my god, oh my god. But, you know, she's... She's trying to. She's she trying is to remarkably make holding him together better than anybody else in the crew. Yes. But yeah. I, although Misty has her shit under control, her shit is fucked, but it is under her control. Misty is living her dream of being like a super, well, essentially an angel of death, which is, you know, a fucked up nurse. I truly think shauna is the most psychotic of them all it's just papered over by deep layers of just sheer tiredness i i think shauna she's pretty fucked up but you know we get we find out why because she's also like in the past of the uh the survival group her role in the group becomes butcher she butchers a lot of the meat why this is the case it's just because she's there and she has the ability to do so good at it yeah, she's good at right. it. She has she's a talent. A knife. She's a champion. Shauna has a habit of just doing wildly irrational things and then kind of disassociating and getting exasperated by her own wildly irrational actions. Yeah, well, I think she just kind of like rolls the dice, but then she does like take responsibility as much as she can. It's interesting to me. Everybody sort of like deals with their shit differently. Obviously, we have like, Nat, who deals with it by doing drugs and drinking. Like, and she's been in and out of, you know, rehab several times. Nat, I think, is the most normal, least fucked up of them yeah, all. I mean, Nat is dealing with it. She is yeah. just dealing with it in a bad way. Yes. Uh, Thaisa is completely under control while she's awake, but she tucks it down so deep that she starts sleepwalking and doing nefarious shit in her, in her sleep without her knowledge. Misty is just like, living life the way she wants to like she's, misty she's is cool straight up it. nurse ratchet yeah she's yeah. fully integrated her demons like she and her demons are a machine that works with high efficiency you know i think it's interesting how misty is portrayed because i think to some extent there is, there's some amount of like textbook sociopathy there where she is like doing her best to be friendly and nice to everybody but she doesn't understand why people don't like her like, she doesn't understand why people are bothered by the way that she, like, talks to them, the way that she acts, this sort of bright and cheery exterior that she's putting on on top of everything else. And I, I think it's interesting how that manifests differently between her as a teenager and her as an adult. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, like, just that narcissism of needing control or wanting to be needed. I mean, 
how she routinely breaks her own or others' cars in order yeah. to force people into giving her rides or taking Mani- rides with her. Manipulation is so second nature to her that when she is caught, she's just like, well, it was necessary. Like she understands why she's doing it. And she's just like, it's basically the quickest way to do something for her. Like a lot of sociopaths will be confused when people don't act the way that they want them to act, but they won't be as vulnerable about that because Missy gets like, um, I think there's maybe more narcissism with Missy. Yeah. Yeah. She cares too much in a way. As a kid, it feels much more like a like a mental I illness that she is, is struggling with. Diagnosing. Uh, That's like irresponsible that she, is, she is trying to figure out why people don't like her and what it is that she does that you know they don't like, and she's trying to calibrate herself to do these things. Whereas you know, as as an adult, she's just like, oh, when Nat asks her why she sabotaged her car. She was like, oh, I knew you wouldn't take me with me, take me with you otherwise. So, like, I had to, obviously. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, like, it's very clear that, like, she makes these sort of plans with, like, enough time in advance to, like, ask for days off at work. But it's that level of, like, planning out her seemingly irrational decisions. One of the main plot points is, you know, who's the blackmailer? And Misty... Misty is sort of sidelined for this investigation that Thaisa, Nat, and Shauna implement to just kind of figure out who the blackmailer is well shauna is sidelined for some of it too because she doesn't realize that other people are being blackmailed because she's yes. not yeah um, she's not getting the blackmail letters but she's been hooked into the effort by the others who have been the blackmail definitely is part of a trend in the plot threads of the present day storyline and the blackmail here has a lot of moving parts that we, as the audience, are sort of introduced to, like Adam, like Jessica, the journalist. Yeah, so we find out that Jessica is not a journalist, but that she's working for Thaisa as a fixer to make sure nobody else is going to talk about what happened in the mountains as she's running for which state senate. What um, would Taisha have done if one of them had talked? Who knows? Confronted I mean, confronted them. In probably some confronted them, and probably, I mean, like. It depends on like how in control the bad Taisa was. Shauna and Taisa and Nat have kind of a fun Big Lebowski style stakeout where they're trying to figure out who the blackmailer is, which leads Shauna to think that Adam has stolen her journals, has done all of this research, and now has reason to blackmail her. Now, if this seems flimsy, it is. But she thinks it's Adam ultimately because Adam hides in their closet when uh, her husband comes home. They've been hooking up in their house. And after he leaves later, she finds like the various confetti and sprinkles that the blackmailer got all over him in the closet and then goes to confront him about it, accidentally murders him, and then uh, figures out that it wasn't him at all. It was her husband, which is why it was in her husband's closet. Yeah. And why she wasn't being blackmailed because he didn't want their name. <laughs> Also, it sure was convenient that he just happened to be at the hotel she followed her husband to. Yeah, I mean, he was very suspicious already, just because very suspicious. he wasn't online. Like, there was a lot of stuff going on with him that was, for yeah. lack of a better word, sussy. In the present day, season one definitely had a bit of a habit of, like, here are interesting mysteries and plot threads, and the big reveal is these fucking messes did it to themselves. Yeah, so it turns out that Jeff 
was blackmailing the others because he wanted money to pay some loan sharks that helped him keep his furniture business open. And one of the loan sharks is a beautiful woman that he met at a hotel. So um, he's apparently very afraid of, according to him, at least. Yeah, he's he's terrified of her. He also involved Randy, who's a character that I haven't mentioned yet. He's sort of a deadbeat, once like idiot kid, now idiot adult that they all knew in high school who once had a crush on Shauna. But he is sort of kicked around in this whole situation as somebody who is even less understanding or even qualified to be dealing with this level of intrigue and or trauma. So that's Randy in a nutshell. Shauna threatens his life a couple of times because she's mad about it. But all in all, just for funsies. Yeah. And we also have Misty taking her own steps to solve the mystery by kidnapping Jessica and putting her in her basement and basically holding her hostage and waiting for her to confess what she's done. This leads Misty some places, but not enough to keep Jessica alive. So, yeah, so I mean, like you were talking about Ben, like the fact that a, a lot of the reveals in the first season are they did it to themselves. I think that's true both of the blackmail and of the reporter, both of which yes. turn out to be related directly yeah. to our characters. The one thing that isn't, they keep assuming is related back to them, which is that Travis has been found hanging. The police have written it off as a suicide, but they like found a like his bank account was closed the day after he died and somebody withdrew all the money. And then also there were several imprints left from candles being uh, lit under where he was hanging in the shape of the symbol that they've you know seen in the lodge. They all know about the God on the blackmail. Since Shauna covers up for her husband having done this stuff, they have no way to know whether or not there's something else going on with, with Travis uh, until the end of the first season where Nat, who is on the edge of killing herself, gets abducted by a group of people. While also we hear the voicemail from her former AA sponsor, or I guess NA sponsor, who is uh, very upset that she has gotten her involved in something big and horrible involving one of the other people who we haven't seen alive in the present, Lottie. I think the thing that struck me the most about this series is that um, I initially going in was like all right we crash in the deserted wilderness and weird shit starts happening the first person i'm worried about is laura lee because like laura lee is justifiably so yes very super christian like has like a lot of thoughts and ideas that immediately for me i was like this is not a person i want to be stranded in the wilderness with Mm -hmm. and when Laura she goes Lee, and the first thing she looks for is her teddy bear. Laura Lee, to her credit, dies in a blaze of glory trying to save everybody else, but not before she sets up Lottie as the main bad guy of this part of the story. Lottie sees vision, legitimately sees the future in some way or another. Like that is yes. pretty finely established yes. in the story is like they're not always very clear, but like that's actually happening. And it's not been happening because she's been on medication. And now now that her medication has run out, it is happening again. 
Yeah. And so like Lonnie is afraid of this. Laura Lee is like, oh, it's a gift. Like encourages her to to embrace this and assume that it is a gift from God and that God is working through her in some way. And that turns Lottie into very quickly a cult leader type who then gets a lot of like that status justified when a bear just straight up walks to her and lays down and lets her kill it, which, you know, that when they're getting ready to start starving because they don't have any food. It, it was interesting to me, this swap, I was immediately like, I don't want anything to do with Laura Lee, but I was like, I like Lottie. Lottie obviously is tortured, has this thing going on. You know, they swapped that one out. They do the same thing to some extent. Obviously, I haven't seen season two, but they do the same thing a little bit with Van, who throughout most of the first season is is with Taisa. They have a very like cute relationship as teens and like they legitimately care for each other and love each other. And then like, despite not wanting to, she follows Taisa when Taisa wants to go looking for help. And then gets ravaged by wolves when Taisa like falls asleep on guard duty and sleepwalks off miraculously survives despite Taisa and everybody else's effort to give her a Viking funeral. Um, She wakes up on the pyre and then like, we need like a van on fire counter that goes off in the corner. Yeah. And I, I love that van immediately makes a joke out of this. She's like, are you kidding me? Fire? Like, come on. But like, she's very self-conscious about being torn up so when they go to the when they decide to have a party like Taisa makes her a, a mask that she wears a matching one of so they can be cute and everything together but also like we begin to find out that like she also she thinks she saw something while she was dying that has given her a, a void to fill for faith and Lottie is an obvious like receptacle of that faith by the end of it, she is, you know, we see her and and Lottie and Misty sort of like praying together in the woods to this. I guess it's the heart of the bear that they have put in this tree stump. Yeah, there's all sorts to. of stuff in the tree stump that they sort of set up to be an altar. Yeah, so I, it's, I don't know where that goes from there. Obviously, we'll I'll find out when I watch it. But yeah, the van sort of goes from being like, this, this one's my fave. I like her to being practically dead to being like oh god i don't really know where van's at but like it makes so much sense this like yeah she has this argument with taisa where like taisa is a diehard atheist yeah taisa is like there is an explanation for everything i will not accept that this is unexplainable or that there is something supernatural or religious going on here and that like ends up pushing van away because van has had an experience which she is sure is proof of something and she's not sure exactly what. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. I love all the supernatural mysteries in this show. I'm into it. I like the dark quasi forest spiritualism is just like, mm, let me just suck that all up with a straw. Yum, 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 yum. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's delicious aesthetic. I love it. I'll I like, I love it. Gotta have it. But the one thing that I haven't talked about in terms of recap that I think is important just to kind of put a cherry on this cake is the doom coming which is uh, i think the penultimate episode of the of season yeah. one or maybe the last episode which is where they arrange a homecoming in the woods for morale they're sure they're gonna die and they're like let's have a one last party before we run yeah. out of food and start dying yes they're just basically like well fuck it let's party and uh and misty has pulled out her special hallucinogenic mushrooms 
so yeah. that she can uh, fuck her gay coach. Um, well, the mushrooms are mostly accidental, but she doesn't um, well, intervene as she, much as she probably should. She intends for that to be the outcome. Somebody else picks them up and puts them into the stew that they're making for everybody. And right. she's like, I can't tell them that that was so I could rape my coach. Um, yeah. I guess we're all going to get high now. The only person who doesn't eat it is Jackie. Jackie's a square. Well, and Jackie is busy fucking Travis. And hating everybody else. And hating Including everyone. Yourself. Yeah. Jackie is such a fucking hater. She is. And, you know, I mean, I can understand where Jackie's coming from. You know, she was so sure of herself in the world that she came from. And now nothing makes sense. She has lost all position, all authority, like all the parameters that gave her status in the civilized world that she's used to are gone. And now she has really nothing to offer. Now we're we're embracing doom. We're doom coming now. So she decides to fuck Travis because she's, you know, she wants to get the whole virginity thing over with because she has made a big deal out of that previously. Like she's established to kind of, she thinks that's an important thing. Yeah. She wants to fuck somebody and seems to have no idea that her best friend wants to fuck her. So yeah. And I, then... I feel like that gets muddier as the series goes on, but I feel like in the first couple episodes, it's very clear that Shauna wants to fuck Jackie. She ends up having sex with Jeff because she wants to have sex with Jackie and Jeff wants to have sex with Jackie, but she's not having sex with either of them. And they the sort psychosexual of friendship yeah. between Jackie and Shauna is the stuff of messy queer legend. Oh my God. I mean, that definitely goes places. The amount of, I hate her. I want to be her. I want to fuck her. I yeah. hate her. I love her is just off the fucking charts. Just an endless roller coaster of like, Jackie is fucking 100% a lesbian. And oh my God, when the other girls are just being like, fucking, we're desperate. Travis is cute. And Jackie's just being like, no, I'm free in the forest of compulsory heterosexuality. And then Shauna is just the messiest goddamn disaster by. Shauna has a lot going on. Where Shauna gets the most sexually into it is just in places that will be like, what the fuck are you doing, Shauna? Oh, yeah, and, later on. And Jeff. Yeah, Shauna and Jeff. It's one of those things where you, it's like an improv where you're yes-anding at all the wrong times. You're right. They ben. fail in, com they are utter fails in such completely different ways. And yet it's like two puzzle pieces fitting together to just make like, more fail than you thought was scientifically possible in a single couple. Yeah. But, you know, they become stronger as a family. But anyway. They all eat the soup. They start tripping. And then suddenly there's this primal force that overtakes well, everybody. So, yeah, everybody trips, falls, and goes and has sex. Except for this group of, this chorus of teen girls who get pissed off that Jackie is, is sleeping with with Travis and decide to go take him back from her because yeah. she's taken something that doesn't belong to her. They basically go seize him and have what starts out rather like an orgy and then turns into a sacrifice with them expecting Shauna to butcher him for them. Um, yeah, it's very I, mysteries at Delphi kind of thing. Um, they, they seem to want to consume him in any way possible yeah um, they see him with a deer head and they're like oh we're gonna kill him and then they are stopped from killing him 
fucking Jackie dramas herself to death. Yeah, well, Jackie, that's the thing. She does. She's like, fine, I won't hang out with you guys. And then she decides to sleep outside and she freezes to death. It's unclear whether the girls are mad because Jackie fucked Travis and like Nat was supposed to fuck Travis or if they see Travis as some kind of talisman because he's like the only eligible dude in the group. But there's a lot of whack shit going on with everybody's kind of reasoning as they're trying to figure out reality out here in the woods. What with Lottie like straight up predicting shit and like magically summoning bears. You know, there's a lot of weird shit. Like they slaughter a buck that's like losing the antler velvet. So it's like all bloody and shit. The buck is actually like it's probably got chronic wasting or something because it's like full of maggots. It's some great horror imagery. Yeah, I mean, it's nature. Like a lot of the stuff is explainable as like weird nature shit going on. So there's never really like an intense yes or no whether it is supernatural or not other than like how pretty spot on lottie's um hallucinations are but again she's just like i saw an explosion in a red river the red river is full of iron and clay and the explosion is the plane you know and these are both things that are vague enough but it, it does say a lot of interesting things to me about groupthink and group mentality dynamics which really reflected that there was this trying to come of age as a teen and like dealing with alien feelings and also trying to uh, make sense of what you're supposed to be as opposed to what you are and things like that. I mean, it's very general, but there's something very specific about how out in the woods and everybody's like become this sort of community structure. There's a lot going on there. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. I appreciate the like shifting dynamics of this story and that like, it starts off like Jackie's the leader. Everybody listens to Jackie. But yeah. as Jackie refuses to survival skills, they start paying attention to Thaisa, who's more of a go-getter. She's going to get things done. She's going to fix things. Jackie is just sort of playing wastrel and, oh, somebody's going to come save us. Uh, whereas Thaisa, like, has plans. But Thaisa's plans all fail. They start following Laura Lee because she's like, she has this plan. She has faith. She's sure that, you know, she has a way to save them. And when that fails, they slowly start sliding towards Lottie. Because Lottie, her character, she just druid. And nobody nobody seems to have realized that until, like, yeah. the end of the season. She can summon animals and she has some ability to predict the future. She does have divine spells. Lottie is the mage. You don't fuck with the mage. Well, and that's the thing, too, is that Lottie just kind of says shit. And then people start to incorporate it into their reality. Well, you know? I like the, the one girl who, I don't even know her name. She's been in the show for two seasons, but she's just like trying to set herself up as Lottie's Pope. Yeah, there's a couple girls that just kind of preach well, the gospel of Lottie. There's Mari. Yeah, Mari. Yes. Throughout the entire series, it's just a bitch. She just, she just yep. like... She's just there to deliver the things that are too horrible for anybody else in the group to say. In a yeah. lot of cases, like, I think she's the one that's like, like, we would let you near the food, Misty, after you poisoned all of us. Theory time. I don't think we're going to get adult Mari in this show. Theory time. Yeah. I mean, the other thing about all of this is that we have, from the first episode, we have the girl getting killed in the woods. So we know at least one of them that is currently alive is going to get eaten. So I did count it up how many people were in that like antler queen eat scene, you know, which is, I guess, our maximum for how many can survive. And if I counted correctly, our minimum, which, right. Our, yeah. 
is uh, eight. Well, no, because they more people could have died after that scene. And between we don't oh, right. know where yeah, that yeah, is yeah, between yeah. there and the rescue is like it could be like eight people. And yeah. as of season two, we know seven. Yes. There's Travis, Misty, Nadia, Shauna, as we find out at the end of season one, Lottie and a seventh that we meet in season two. Yes. So okay. we there is still one other person who ostensibly could have survived. Um, it's Coach Ben. He's like on his yacht. They show him on his yacht and he's like listening to Night at the Roxbury. They just cut to Coach Ben and he's just like, wearing sunglasses. Been like been nothing but blowjobs and great times for the last 20 years. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think for a lot of the like first season, there's sort of the group that's the chorus and people start to drift into being like, major characters throughout because it's really just like that sort of core four for a while and then like it's like oh and there's van oh and there's lottie but then mm. you have like also mari and akila who are sort of like they're extra <laughs> and some of these characters do get a little bit more fleshed out in season two as well so i would yeah. assume they don't have jackie taking up so much time anymore yeah that's true i want to see like the reverse side of this where it's like all the people that are there for soccer nationals, then one team shows up just having gone through a whole yellow jacket situation. I'm at if they got back in time and now there's just like one team that's just full of fucking insane. They all show up with the furs on and they've got like, yeah, like in yeah, like insane fucking fucking, antlers and shit. Yeah, like the fucking crazy cannibal like soccer team. God. It's like in Shell and Soccer how they have the evil team. Yeah. <laughs> like using fucking witchcraft and shit just paraded around jackie's frozen corpse just throwing it around <laughs> like a mascot yeah i was trying to kind of track yeah. time in this and it feels like the first season is about six months they say they were out there for a year and a half yes and the first season yes. it goes from they're missing prom to go to nationals and then by the end it's you know jackie gets killed because she goes to sleep outside and then there's like three feet of snow overnight and she freezes to death by the campfire. Yeah. By her uh, really shitty campfire. So moral of the story, if it's snowing out, try your best not to sleep outside. That, and you know, if you're in a survival situation, you get in a fight with somebody, it's not worth freezing over, okay? You know? Especially not if there's two floors in the house. I mean... Yeah, like you can sleep in the fucking dead guy attic. Okay? Like, I know there was a dead guy up there, and, but they did get rid of him and they did a seance. And and I do want to say, like, Laura Lee, for being, like, the religious one, did not make as much of a big deal about the seance as I thought she would. Like, she was still, like, she was a team player. I kind of like that about Laura Lee. She she tried her best. Laura Lee turns out to be I fine. mean, she, re- she repaired an airplane that would have worked if not for dark forest magic. I think the I'm... airplane was fucked. I think it was that the airplane was old and it was full of like that teddy bear spontaneously combusted. That was some forest magic. That was I'm team forest magic. I think the teddy bear was probably made of like, I don't know, uh, nitroglycerin. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think the problem is like there's these two sort of dynamic sides of like the Laura Lee Lottie side of like everything's God and or magic. And then. Taisa on the other side that's like nothing is god or magic they're they're really headbutting quite a bit and like that's what leads to a lot of the friction is like 
nobody is like maybe some of it's magic yeah yeah like there is something clearly fucked up and weird going on here but also not all of it is fucking magic magic for some tiny american flags for others <laughs> that Bayon, i feel kind of rides the line a little bit but she is kind of sipping on the flavoring it feels like towards the end of season one i want to get into some of the progressive politics especially the way that this is dealing with i don't want to say like mental illness because Wadi isn't so much mentally ill is that she is just on medication her it parents really... don't know what is going on with her but she is i'm pretty sure she's taking antipsychotics with Lottie really remind me of just kind of that historical connection the way some societies have interpreted what we consider to be mental illness some societies have considered to be communing with other powers or spirits or worlds so i thought that was an interesting angle on it that to put us in like oh is this in lottie's head or is this real in its own way i mean i I feel like it hits a point very in between those that like it is real but also it is disruptive enough to her life that like she was able to control it with medication yeah and that was like yeah important to do in normal day-to-day life but she definitely has some sort of premonition powers if nothing else you know who they become and the differences like i think it just shows the way that in one world they're a celebrate or condemned for these traits that save them or doom them like everything that makes jackie someone who's able to thrive and rise to the top in a high school environment utterly fucks her over in a survivalist woods environment yeah like you know when she's not smashing responders misty goes from you know looked over and completely unvalued to someone that's relied on that they wouldn't know what they do without in a lot of instances so i think there's what in one world is a disease to be managed is in another world a gift to be celebrated yeah there's a bit in the very beginning when Allie breaks her leg that Misty is trying really hard to address it. And she's like, well, you got to set it and you got to do all these things. And nobody take like they just basically push, they her, push her away, away. They, they yeah. literally push her away. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. And then the moment that there isn't somebody to push her away, she manages to do the things that she says she can do. And I think she doesn't quite believe it either, you know, until it becomes like routine. Yeah, and that's, again, I, you know, keep comparing it to Lost is, like, it does go, like, what this place is and how supernatural it is. Like, it's never as overt as it was on Lost. Lost was straight up, this man was permanently paralyzed and then could instantly walk again the second he got to this island. Also, there's a monster made of smoke. And there's a monster made of smoke. (laughs) Like No smoke monsters in this one. Just, like, wolves that'll fuck you up. Yeah, and then that's regular wolves. Yeah, those yes. are regular regular wolves will fuck you up. But the perspective of this group and then sort of the fact that like Lottie says some random shit and they're like, oh yeah, the you know, whatever she said, you know, the forest is angry. We need to give the forest something, you know. It doesn't work necessarily because that's how things work. It's because that's how they see it working, which is a big issue with groupthink it's a it's a big issue with a lack of critical thinking in a desperate situation especially as a teen there's already a lot going on as teens that they're trying to figure out and their definition of the world around them 
changes drastically. I think the writing in this is really fantastic in that how it portrays the teens. I was reading that one of the Ashley Lyle heard about a reboot of Lord of the Flies where it was all girls that was pitched or it was like announced and nobody thought it would work because they were like, well, girls wouldn't do the same thing the boys would do in a survival situation like in Lord of the Flies. And they're all, there was all this skepticism about it because there's all this like sexist bullshit about how like girls are sensitive and caregiving no matter what. And they weren't supporters of women's wrongs. I do think it's interesting in the ways that this is and isn't adaptation of Lord of the Flies. Yeah. And that like it is conceptually the same. And like that was you know, something Alicia was noting as we were starting to watch it. And I think if you watch the first episode, having seen Lord of the Flies, they plant something in there to trick you, which is you don't see Misty as an adult until the end of the first episode. Yeah. And you assume Misty is the piggy yeah. of this story because she is the sweet, caring, sensitive one who wants people to like her and, you know, has glasses as well. And she's yeah. just sort of like has she's difficulty with people. And she ain't the piggy. Nope. Yeah. By the end of the second episode, she is trashing the transponder so people cannot find them. She finds herself more useful in this scenario than she ever has been in, in normal life, which is like it's a great twist for the first episode, especially if people are going into it thinking, oh, it's Lord of the Flies with girls. Yeah. I love the moment where like the bully calls her and she thinks she's going to win by quoting Plato. Yeah. And of course, the natural teenage girl response is like, what kind of fucking weirdo is quoting Plato? Yeah. Yeah, opinion is the wilderness between knowledge and ignorance. This is why they make fun of you, Misty. And that finishing bit where Misty is introduced at the end of the first episode, working in the uh, adult care facility, and um, she is still getting bullied, it seems, by these old ladies that she's taking care of. And, like, she puts this woman's dinner on the table. This woman shat herself. She's upset that, like, she's just changed this bed. And while she's turning around to get the sheets, the woman, like, throws her food on the floor and the reaction with which misty turns around and says oh i think this pain medication is upsetting your stomach so you're just gonna have to miss this dose and like takes it with her and then says don't fuck with me is like the best best twist that isn't a twist at all yeah it's just introducing the you know the character but because you're going in thinking oh, this is this, you know, pathetic, sad character who's going to end up dying. You know, you then see that and then they reveal that she is the one behind the fur mask and the ceremony that we've seen at the beginning. There's a reason they cast Christina Ricci for this character. I mean, between the needle drops and the presence of Christina Ricci and Juliette Lewis, this show knows who it's talking to. Also, let's give it up for fucking Melanie Linsky. Oh, Melanie Linsky. gives like a performance of a lifetime as Shauna. She is incredible. Just like the way she's able to balance intensity with exasperated casualness about the darkest shit imaginable makes me think that Melanie Linsky should play a James Bond villain. Yeah. Everything she does is sort of exasperated casual. Like her whole life is exasperated casual. She's a housewife. She exasperatedly casually stabs a man and then Cuts yeah. into pieces in the bathtub. Like, yeah, and she's just like everything she's just exasperated over. She's exasperated about the rabbit. She's exasperated about her daughter. To the point where like everyone is justifiably being like, 
Shauna, you murdered a man. And she is responding with the energy of that she forgot something when she went to the grocery store. She's like, why are you guys being so mean to me? Yeah, like, honestly, it's like they're having to cover up a murder. And she's just like, look, we all make mistakes. Okay, stop being so mad. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that sort of leads us naturally to talk about the feminism of the show. Because I think talking about some of the speeches that not just Melanie Linsky, but specifically Melanie Linsky, but a lot of the other characters given this story. It really reminds me of if you guys have seen the first episode of Glow, there's yes, this like yes. scene where Alison Bree's character goes in to read for a part and she's like reading this great monologue speech. And they're like, oh, actually, that's the man's part. You're supposed to be reading the secretary that's like, yes, sir. OK, sir. And like this show is just like packed with like speeches and, and bits for the female characters that are just like so chewy and complicated and dark in oh, some yeah. spots that you're just like damn like the writing in this is good like there's so many interesting female characters that for so long there just weren't room for on tv like there just wasn't a place yeah. where you could see characters like this and now this any, show has like 12 of them yeah, yeah any show throwing this many compelling complicated messy captivating women characters at you is inherently feminist Yes. I mean, it's no question. And and that was the thing I was saying with the Lord of the Flies thing is that Ashley Lyle was like, yeah, you can do this. Women are people too. support women's wrongs. Women's can wrong. Women can wrongs. You know what I said? Yeah, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about like we talked about the adult female cast a lot, but specifically like Sophie Thatcher, who plays teenage Natalie is so good. They're all, oh yeah. Like, I oh, yeah. Seen, the only thing I've ever seen her in is Boba Fett, where she plays one of the like random robo teens. Um, it has a completely inexplicable British accent. Yeah, there for no yeah. reason. And uh, that's fine, whatever. Boba Fett is fine. But like in this show, she is simultaneously so fragile, but also like the strong one. Like, yeah. She is constantly in this like, space of between crying and people to fuck themselves that is like yeah. so good and this this like these conversations that she has with coach ben where like she's the only one that's perceptive enough to realize that he's gay and like the only reason that she gives for realizing it is he never stares at their boobs which you know i've never been a teen girl playing sports but i assume that's something that you would notice at some point and the the sort of like relationship the two of them have and the way that she ends up being sort of the voice of reason, despite having more reason to be angry than most of them, and she's she's constantly the one that's sort of like saving other people, her and Shauna both. The actress who plays Shauna is fantastic. She's really written in a lot of the ways that like Willow is for the first couple seasons of Buffy of like the best female friend who's kind of sad and hasn't figured her shit out yet. But she's so much deeper and more interesting than you know willow ends up eventually having more to do but she's so like much more of a person yeah there's a bit of like a sort of cartoon clueless dynamic at the very beginning it shows really good at setting up a archetype and just breaking free of it in such a meaningful way with the characters like a lot of their vignettes about their particular situations and everything in that first episode especially like Misty watching the rat drowning in her pool. We're sort of preparing to see how those stereotypes are going to be broken. 
And the process feels very like graceful and literary in a way that like you can write essays about. Yeah. The the writing is excellent. The only real concern mm-hmm. problems I have with the writing is that sometimes they're trying to do a little too much. I mean, the yeah. first few episodes are are a little confusing because there are a hundred characters and you don't know who any of them are and they it's keep switching definitely, them up. It's definitely one of those shows where it's going to take you a while. Like it's a little like Game of Thrones or Walking Dead or something where it's just like there's a lot of characters and it's going to take you time to get fully invested yeah. and yeah. just understanding who is everyone. Yeah, because like in the, you know, the second episode is where the plane crash actually happens. And like when we see the, the girl who's been impaled by the steel pipe, I was like, who is that? I don't know. Like, I, I'm sure that should be tragic, but I, I don't know which of the hundred characters I saw last episode this is. I found that really frustrating in the first episode or two, but like I, it's part of the process with this many cast members, especially with this many of the cast members being teen girls. There's a little yeah. bit of like, who is that? But I, I think, you know, they do actually do a good job of having a, a somewhat diverse cast, especially in like body type. I, I think in a lot of shows and movies, calling Jackie like, the pretty one you'd be like yes but they all kind of look like that within two or three degrees of her um, yeah because that's who they cast but like i mean you've got jasmine savoy brown is great i mean the whole great like young sean is great yeah i mean again i i love this cast i don't there's not a they all do fantastic jobs and i think again the characters both young and old all work really well yeah and, and like they I, line up really nicely. There's a lot to be said for the wardrobe, especially in like the first episode of, of teen nineties girls that like, there's a lot of just the, the way they dress, the way they stand, the way they comport themselves in the world, like tells you a lot about the character from the get go. Like you can tell a lot about Shauna by the way Shauna dresses and you know, the way that she is uncomfortable with Jackie's suggestions about how she should dress to go to the party. Okay. You know, Sean Again, and her like, flannel are inseparable. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie is like wanting to control slash be with Shauna is just like the degree to which Jackie always needs Shauna on her side doing what she wants. I mean, this is again, truly one of just a tier platinum class psychosexual girlfriend romantic girlfriendship of the toxic variety yeah and also we have speaking of lgbt we have so much representation in the show but oh yeah but the thaisa situation is so interesting because we have like i remember at the very beginning there's a photographer that's saying that oh you're such an inspiration you're so brave and having thaisa be the powerful token gay is really it's it's an interesting choice for me and it's also like a very progressive choice in terms of the characters that we have surviving because you know we have coach ben we don't know what happens to coach ben yes coach ben still remains a big mystery yeah coach ben is a mystery coach ben might be one of the biggest mysteries at this point yeah bless his heart bless his poor gay suffering heart yeah Young Taisa and Van's relationship is very cute. And also at a certain point when they come out, everyone's like, yeah, you know, there's not really any resistance there. Yeah, there's a couple of people that are like, wait, are they together? And the other people are like, yeah, duh. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. I did love a true television adaptation of they're lesbians, Harold. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The scene with them like at the lake together, writing things on each other's back, seeing if like the other person can figure out what they're writing is like it's, it's such a like cute interaction. Um, in yeah. the midst of all the other shit that's going on at that point, for most of the season, they're the only functional couple. Every everybody else is having like legit teen drama, and their drama, although you know it escalates, is much more of the survival type, not of the like bitchy teen drama type. Yeah, and I do like that you have a pretty good precedent of this in terms of like the space that we don't see of them surviving in the cabin. Like they have a routine about what to do about their period and they have, you know, how they do their laundry and how they manage their waste and all that kind of stuff. So like the problem isn't that they're by themselves. They have figured out a survival. It's not like the immediate crumbling of, of any semblance of civilization that you see like in Lord of the Flies, but the character development is what, matters about that and the fact that there are other things involved in the crumbling of this society you know whether they are supernatural or just like one toxic element in the community or several yeah. you know one or three toxic uh, elements i i think it's interesting that we see sort of the difference between thais's teenage presumably first for a relationship and her adult marriage to another woman which yeah. is like a very different sort of relationship which goes south in its own way but like they're not not necessarily <laughs> i think they're not necessarily portrayed as so brave for being yeah. you know in love with each other and together they're just like this is a relationship and, and sort of the way we were talking about about they slash them where everybody who's queer is so brave um, yeah you know they're just like they're married. They've been married for a while. They have a kid. They're living together. They do love each other, but also like they have, you know, her her wife in particular uh, has very like real boundaries of like, okay, I, I do need to think about myself. I need to think about our son. Uh, yeah. This is not a love conquers all situation. Taisha has lots of problems. Being gay is not one of them. Yeah, and the the way that they depict that photographer saying like you're so brave being give me like yeah. give me the Kennedys. Yeah, it's like well, thanks, but this isn't about me being gay. Can you shut up, please? Like I, you know, this isn't what defines me. I'm also trying to make a difference in the world, and the being gay doesn't really come into her whole having like trauma and fugue. Science is sort of weirdly nebulous in this. And that, you know, they all sort of are out in the woods, but also like they do have a spread from like Nat, whose family lives in a trailer, who are very yeah. poor, that, you know, her dad is is abusive and fucking horrible and fucking dead because of it. And that <laughs> that's a fucking twist. That, that oh my scene God. Where we've seen her dad with his head half blown off. We know that he's going to get shot. And then she does pull the trigger, but he has the safety on. He goes off talking shit about her after it's come to this and then ends up accidentally blowing his own brains out when he trips. It's, it's like, that's that was wild. I did not expect that to turn yeah. out, that seemed to go that direction. Yeah. Like, I'm glad that it wasn't her, like, just, but she, you know, in her mind, she might as well have shot him. And that's what is communicated in her arc. Yeah. And I think, you know, her mom blames her for it too. Yeah. 
But I mean, we see her, we see like Thaisa is obviously better off. I forget whose parents it is that they, they say arranged Lottie. the private flight. It's it Lottie. Lottie's parents arranged Which, private Yeah. I will say Lottie being independently wealthy makes some stuff in season two make a lot more sense. Yeah. That explains some stuff. I had forgotten that detail that Lottie is apparently very rich and that, yeah, season two is not quite a plot hole as much as I thought it might have been. Yeah. There's a lot in the first episode even like where she has a maid give her her meds and she's yeah. on like at the head of this long mahogany table in a, an elaborate dining room with like a view and stuff. I think the only uh, time we really actually see her parents is in her double flashback, which yeah. like those are the episodes that I'm a little less there for at some points. At the point that we are balancing three timelines, um, yeah, you know, Natalie's is a bit closer in time to the '96 past, but like the the episode in the first couple where it's focused on Taisa and we're seeing. The future or the present Thaisa, the 96 Thaisa, and then also baby Thaisa watching her grandmother die. And I was like, guys, you barely have enough room for the stuff you've already got in this episode. Yeah. Like a third timeline, the, the flashing back to the flashback is like you, you didn't like much. yellow. <laughs> you didn't like yellow jacket babies. <laughs> it's just I like mean, I, 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 I agree with you, but also <laughs> that fucking eyeless man that is death, like just fucking creep the ever-living fuck out of me well, like, it was creepy is... but i didn't know like i mean it was cool but it you know i think it would have been fine without it i think it would have been and this is a little bit of like comparing it to lost in unfair ways that like lost was like we flash back we flash present we flash back we flash present this is like we're balancing three timelines in a single episode lost eventually would you know do flash forward bits and like it was very sort of consistent with what it was doing. The pacing of some of the stuff in this series feels a little more sort of all over the place. I was saying this to Emily at one point that like partially I think because it's structured for showtime and there aren't commercial breaks. It's just like mm -hmm. we're going to do two minutes in the present, 30 seconds in the past and five minutes in the present and 30 seconds in the past and three minutes in the present and then 20 minutes in the past. And I was just like, it's just like, whoa, God, like I. The structure is is not not always good. The yeah. story, thankfully, is very good. The writing is good, but like sometimes the structure is a little unwieldy. That's a little overwhelming at times. Yeah, uh, that that that's fair. I did want to mention a character that I neglected to mention, and this only obliquely has to do with uh, LGBTQIA representation. I was sad that Kevin Tan did not transition. The you know, yeah, Kevin Tran. Oh my god. <laughs> Kevin tra transitioning from goth to cop was not the transition I wanted. From yeah, that character. For, for real. I blame Marilyn Manson. Yeah, that, that was the red flag. Yeah, Marilyn Manson definitely. Like, if he had like a Bauhaus shirt on or Kevin, like a Cure Kevin, shirt on, I've been like, oh yeah. Kevin Tan should have been on that goth boy to trans girl pipeline. Yeah. That might have been, well, they enlist him but later. But also still a cop. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, they enlist him later for the help with their mystery solving. We do need to give a, just a special highlight before we end the episode on one of the greatest line deliveries in the history of television. Oh, my God. It's... Of Jeff's devastated bewilderment at learning that book club isn't real. God. Yeah, Jeff has been, we thought, cheating on her throughout the season but like 
Jeff has several moments throughout the season before the reveal of what Jeff has been doing that I was like, what are you doing, Jeff? There's a moment where they like on the anniversary of fucking Jackie's birthday every year, they go over to her parents' house and just listen to her parents talk shit about how great Jackie was and how much dick Shauna sucked for like hours, it seems like. And that like clearly... This is fucking up Shauna, but she can't say anything because it's, she it's feels bonkers. guilty about Jackie also. Oh, yeah. Know, her parents it, are dead. You will find out all sorts of reasons why Shauna feels obligated to put up with, like, this fucking ritualistic emotional abuse. Well, yeah. yeah. And the, the Jeff at the end, like, after talking to her is like, you know what? We were fucking before Jackie died. Also, my wife is fucking great and smarter than jackie ever was so just chill the fuck out you asshole yeah, just like and then know. like he has several moments of like shauna is nothing but down on herself and lets everybody including her best friend talk shit about her and jeff is the one guy that's like no actually shauna is great fuck all of you guys also uh, sometimes <laughs> the ghost of her best friend oh yeah. yeah jackie's ghost appears quite a bit yeah jeff defending her like Jeff is clearly more into Shauna than Jackie, like all in all. You ex- like I go into the show just expecting to be like, this is a nothing of a relationship. Jeff is going to be a nothing but a piece of shit character. And now I'm two seasons in and I'm like, man, I don't know if y'all are just terrible in general, but Jeff and Shauna, I can't imagine either of you with anyone else. I hope you get a cell together, you know? Just- yes. Yeah. <laughs> For for a show in which like the women are the starring attraction, the men are like surprisingly well. They're not all likable, but they're all well written. Well, I guess I mean obviously we all recommend people. Yeah, we absolutely uh, recommend this. Oh um, fuck, sure. yes, for sure. It's that peak golden age t- drama TV. Yeah, and especially if you're you were a girl in the nineties, it's like those nostalgia organs will be working overtime with all of the needle drops like they really they really nail it so to speak although yeah. trent watch is still on do, 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 do. trent watch trent has not been seen yet we got tori amos we got alanis morissette singing some of like the banger theme song a couple times doom coming the dance for doom coming was kiss from a rose which was i remember my middle school 1995 middle school dance when they played that shit we got what there was. Uh, is it, this is how we do it? Was in there. They had shoop. Um, shoop. Yeah. Yeah. This is the third piece of media in like the last two weeks that I've heard shoop in. I don't know what it is that I'm encountering shoop everywhere, but uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, my recommendation, aside from all the music in this, is uh, is Melanie Linsky. Uh, if you haven't seen The Last of Us, she is. Uh, like a lot of characters in that or like a lot of great actors in that a bit player she's in like two episodes but her part is so good and she is so good in it as sort of like a villainous character that still has the same sort of like has the same sort of energy as shauna and has this mixture between like being scary but also like seeming like she just wants to talk to the manager of the apocalypse like it's fantastic so Definitely that. And if you haven't seen, I don't think we've ever talked about XX, which is a collection of short horror films that are all female directors. 
Uh, oh, and she yeah. is in one called The Birthday Party. And not um, a prequel to XXX starring Vin Diesel, no. where at the end he gets the third X. No, although I would love to see Melanie Linsky as like a triple X character. Uh, yes. Like that, you know, Melanie yeah. Linsky in the Fast and Furious universe would be fun. She could do it. She could so do it. But yeah, XX is all sort of like short films by female directors with great cast. I know Karen Kusama directed one in there. Is it? Okay, it's not the one that she's in. The Birthday Cake, which is the one that uh, Melanie Linsky is in, is directed by St. Vincent. So definitely check out XX. It's like five quick short films with, you know, four films with female directors, and they're all worth checking out. Awesome. I recommend all the movies that Van makes, uh, that Van references in the show. And if you want to see Juliette Lewis not really play a burnout, she's not really a burnout in From Dust Till Dawn. And as much um, as anybody is not a burnout in From Dust Till Dawn. Fair. Well, she's the least burnout of everybody, except for the her brother. But, you know, watch out for the Quentin Tarantino-ness of that movie. because It there. also has enough Robert Rodriguez-ness to kind of even oh, it out a little bit. Yeah, like the Robert Rodriguez-ness is what saves it. But, you know, Quentin Tarantino is so heavily involved that he does have to lick Selma Hayek's feet. And... You know, that's the whole reason he's even in that movie. He's just like, yeah, I'll do it. Just let me lick Selma Hayek's feet. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's part of his uh, uh, his reader. <laughs> yeah, I'll be in anything. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm not even going to finish that sentence out loud because I don't want a recording of me saying it. I will say that Selma Hayek can do to me whatever she wants, including ignore me. And I'm... I've, she's I doing love a great job that. of that so far. She's already she's <laughs> doing great. Five five out of one star. Perfect rating system. Yes. <laughs> no flaws. No flaws. No doubts. I do love Selma Hayek, but at least as far as I know, if it turns out she's a turf, um, I'm sorry, but I don't think she is. Anyway, we are we, are, we reserve the right to rescind love of celebrities upon discovery of their shittiness at any time. Yes. Thank you, Ben. So yeah, I do hope that Yellow Jackets, I, I look forward to season three, and they should take all the time that they need so writers and actors get the rights that they reserve, they, they reserve and deserve. Absolutely. Um, hey, execs, don't pull a heroes, please. I don't know if Lost was affected by that too, but I, like, I never got into Lost, ever. I think Lost avoided being substantially affected by it somehow. I don't know if it was that they just delayed it or what, but uh, it did not have the same sort of plot fuck up that Heroes did. Uh, yeah, that's for oh, sure. Oh God, Heroes, fucking oh boy, yeah. Don't let anything be Heroes. I will say, even before the writers' strike, Hero season two was not off to a promising start. Oh no, but yeah. So I will wait for season three of Yellow Jackets, and you should too, as long as it takes for mm-hmm. our creators of various types. To get proper rights. Yes. So. The, the real recommendation is donate what you can to your local strike fund. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Support WGA, support SAG. They have not said that anybody should boycott any movies or anything like that. So if anybody's telling you that, I mean, as of now, when we're recording this, that is not the case. But uh, yes, watch anything you like, preferably Venture Brothers. That's a good one. If you're yeah. looking for something to watch, check out Venture Brothers. Sure. Big finale movie coming out soon. It will already be out by the time this episode airs. 
Oh, and if you want to watch a cool movie about women in the, in the 90s, that are young women in the 90s that are like running through the woods and stuff, there's Foxfire. I thought I think we were going to get back queer. into recommending the craft again. I was almost there, but I was like, mm, that's too on the nose. So um, well, I recommend that, arts and crafts because we all need hobbies. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think it's about time for us to talk about ourselves some more. You can find me on the internet at megamoth.net that has links to all of my other socials, uh, except for Blue Sky. I'm Megamoth on Blue Sky as well. But yeah, on Twitter, Mega underscore Moth on Instagram, Mega Moth on Patreon. Uh, you can find me at BenConComics.com on Twitter at BenTheCon. You can check out upcoming works, including L. Campbell Wins Their Weekend, which you can pre-order now. My pro's debut coming out October 17th. Nice. Nice. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrom 58 on Blue Sky, Jeremy Whitley on Tumblr at Jeremy Whitley. .tumblr.com. You can go buy The Dog Knight. It's out now. Go buy it. There's other things coming, but we'll let you know when we can let you know about that stuff. You can also find me on my website at jeremywhitley.com. And of course, you can find the podcast on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod, where we'd love to hear from you. Speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you'd rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Give us five stars. It helps people find the podcast get it recommended to them by uh, the podcast providers thank you as always for joining us thank you to Emily and Ben for joining me here today and I release you always and until next time sick transit Gloria Mundi 